DM Neil here, because DM Celeste and I have been lifting the mental weights in a whole nother gym. And if you go check the show notes right now, you can check out the preview page for the Kickstarter that Celeste and I will be launching on March 10th. And it is for the ultimate guide to hair. It's got backgrounds, subclasses, races, spells, magic items, monsters, and even some deities. It's as insane as you think it is, and probably more. So definitely check it out in the show notes. But with that, let's head to the episode. Well, welcome back, Blockheads, to another episode of the Dungeon Master's Block, the place where we come to talk about the Dungeon Master, the most important person in the game, the only person capable of playing God, killing characters, and lowering the egos of all of the players at your table. I'm one of your hosts, DM Chris. And I'm DM Mitch. And I'm DM Neil, a.k.a. Joke Maniac. And today, we are entering into our second top ten list. Uh, Last week, you got to hear mine. This week, who's are we getting to hear, fellas? It's me. Ooh, and it's you. Yeah. Neil. The hardest part was choosing what order they would be in. Oh, I'm <laughs> I feel like that's, that's coming, something you always struggle with is like yeah. yeah, putting them in a specific order. You just don't want to like, you know, it's hard to say this one's the the worst of the best. Yeah, yes. but it's, sometimes you do clearly know like this one barely even made the list. Like there are those yeah. every once in a while. <laughs> yeah, this is a throwaway one. Like let's this be real. I needed I needed a tenth yeah, last one. second right before we sat down to record. <laughs> right, right. So, anyways, before we get into that, Neil, we're really excited for your top tens, as I'm sure the listeners are. We have a podcast review that comes to you from Apple Podcasts. Yeah, this one comes in from Big Cheeseburger and is entitled, Thank You for Making This Show. Five stars. This show has fun personalities, good content, amazing tips, and an excellent format. I am looking forward to shows from the Mithril Paradise. Little shout out to DMnastics there. I listen to the show while I work out. So in other words, I lift weights while I lift weights. Thank you for the help with my heavy lifting, and with your help, I am not sure if I lift more with my mind or my body now. Keep up the good work, and I will keep stealing your ideas for my weekly game. Well, clearly, this is a huge fan of DMnastics. Clearly, so, yes. I mean, it's a good Perfect. It's a good point to also throw out there that, again, with DMnastics on its own feed, head on over to that feed and give DMnastics all the five-star reviews that you can because... Uh, we want to give DMnastics uh, some fantastic reviews and bump up their visibility on Apple Podcasts and all the podcast apps out there. So do that for Neil. Do that for Celeste. Do that for the block party. Yeah. And you're going to get a little taste of some of DM Neil's heavy lifting as we head to the meet. Yes. Oh, my gosh. So much heavy lifting. I'm starving. We ain't had nothing but maggoty bread for three stinking days. <laughs> Why can't we have some meat? The plate meat back on the menu, boys. So as Chris said in the introduction, today we're continuing on with our top tens episodes. And I'm really excited because Neil, a.k.a. Joke Moniac, is here to share his top tens with us right here, right now. So, Neil, we're going to do this in ascending order. So why don't you start us off? What is your your number 10 idea? Okay, it's terrible, but 
See, like I said, you always have the one throwaway. <laughs> yeah. Well, I just I feel like this one's really difficult to implement. But basically, I saw as I was digging around to come up with ideas, I saw the crawling hand. So I came up with the idea of moving limbs. Basically, in your world, people's limbs have detached, Ugh. but they're alive and they're all moving to a certain location. A certain Ugh. location? Yeah, so there's just this in mass, just like these hands and feet and limbs just moving through the countryside. And the players have either been affected or been contracted to figure out what's going on. I mean, that that in itself sounds like a very Halloween-like campaign adventure to me because it just sounds creepy and disgusting. It yeah, so and, gross. <laughs> so nasty. <laughs> and then figuring out, like, what do you do? Like, my foot is gone. Yeah. Well, it, it makes me think of uh, my wife and I are rewatching the Harry Potter movies and the part where all of the spiders start he- heading to Aragog out in the Forbidden Forest. Like, I'm yes. just wondering if there's like some either like golem that's growing bigger and bigger based on the appendages mm, that it yes. is absorbing somehow. Or, or two golems, a foot golem and a hand golem. <laughs> yeah, yes. yeah. Or just a, a flesh golem that is growing like you just you come across this thing and it's got like a thousand arms or something like that sticking out and it's massive it's like a colossal size creature at that point now i gotta ask you guys especially chris as you're kind of bringing up this like here's what this is actually the reasoning behind this when we say a golem created out of hands and feet right like out of limbs are you picturing like a humanoid uh golem made out of hands and feet or are you picturing like for a, like the hand golem, you're picturing like a giant hand creature made out of tiny hands and a giant foot creature made out of tiny feet. Yes, kind of both. I mean, the one that I had for kind of like the legs was if it if it had like some sort of torso body, but it had, say, just thinking of a spider, if it had eight legs, the legs just keep getting longer and longer and bigger and bigger. They don't necessarily grow like a thousand of them, but it just keeps growing bigger and bigger. It's just this massive weird disgusting looking leg golem thing that is growing in like this cavern or something like that just waiting to break out and it just sounds gross (laughs) the other one is a mortifying version of the hamburger helper oh gosh (laughs) yes (laughs) or maybe they're multiple golems and eventually they all get together and like power rangers create like a big humanoid so it's like Leg golem attached to torso golem. Yeah. Oh, gosh. Yes. Mighty Morphin flesh golems. Disgusting. <laughs> oh, man. That's a TV show right there. Let's Whoa. get that made. Yeah. Come on, Stephen King. Where are you? A little behind the times, pal. Let's go. <laughs> That's I also an awesome love the idea, idea of like PCs waking up with missing limbs mm-hmm. just because there's this weird magical thing going on and they're falling off all over the world. Well, and you could you could have it where it's like it either hurts them significantly when it comes off or they just wake yeah. up and it's gone and they have no idea and it didn't hurt at all. <laughs> they like they like reach to get their glass of water by their bed and like they're like, what, 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 why didn't I get my glass of water? Right. Oh, my gosh, my arm is gone. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Just knock it off the shelf. <laughs> <laughs> I love that idea. Well, that was a fantastic start. And you thought that was your throwaway idea, Neil. Yeah. I'm excited to hear yeah, what yeah. That might be the best one. We're going to get fan art and everything. Of, oh, uh, this yes. Disgusting. <laughs> disgusting. <laughs> so number nine, Neil, what's your number nine? So I feel like this is a pretty common one, but I don't feel like we've brought it up before. But it, I just entitled it, What's in My Pocket? And basically, the players are going through town and someone 
places something on them rather than taking something from them. And Mm. obviously it could be that it's something that's cursed, which I think is super funny. And it could be that something stolen or one of the things that I thought would be most interesting if it's some kind of like extra dimensional pocket that they've been placed now in their clothes and like, what does it lead to and what does it cause? Uh, but again, I, I guess I just like messing with people because now you just all of a sudden this different thing is happening to you and you had no idea. Yeah. You just have like this dimensional pocket in there and you're just pulling out random stuff that you have no idea mm-hmm. where this came from. Like all like you could almost create like a interdimensional pocket that all of a sudden they pull out some technology that they have no idea about. Like they pull out a futuristic moon laser weapon or something. And they're like, what the heck is this? What is going on? (laughs) Could be really interesting. I feel like this is the type of cool idea that a DM gets like, oh man, yeah, next time they go into a city, I'm going to do this thing. They're going to bump into some guy and this guy's going to plant this thing on them. And uh, then like two hours later, you as the DM are wondering why the players have fixated on this thing that you did to them and are not paying attention to the main storyline. And then you realize, oh, this is my fault. <laughs> I did this to them. The other way I thought you were going to go was, and three years later, playing in the same campaign, they have not gone into yeah. a city. <laughs> <laughs> that too, that too. Yeah, I like that idea. I think there's a lot of potential there for that one. Yeah, it really open opens up a whole bunch of opportunities of what that is that they're putting in their pocket too. Number eight. So with the fascination of Eberron and it being reintroduced and things like that, I thought we would bring up a classic monster that is much more terrifying and have a rust monster infestation. Because now you have these lightning rails, you have these trains, you have a lot more metal just in your day-to-day life. And I think rust monsters would be mortifying in that scenario. And then having your players figure out different ways makes me think of the old x-men movies where magneto was in like this plastic cage rather than having any metal ever get close to him and so them having to figure this out so that they can even just exist but yeah i mean you just think about how that would throw off everything pretty much any civilization does and how versatile metal is and how they would have to like maybe you're on an exploration campaign that's going out into this new uncharted territory because the rust monsters have come and started destroying things because you've heard of some material that's malleable and strong but not made out of metal that they can't destroy like it's just it might just be a legend but you guys are sent out on an adventure and you face all these weird things or you have to go to a different plane of existence to try and find something and bring it back or bring all the people off of the world that you're on because the rust monsters have taken over so much that there's nothing you can do about it anymore that's such a cool idea like i love the fact that like all you did was pretty much take one monster out of the monster manual and like asked a simple question and put it in a different setting because now i'm thinking of like every zombie movie that i've seen where it's just like hordes of zombies coming at you Mm. but you just replace those zombies with rust monsters and in this world it's like the same-ish effect and now you've got cities that are building up big wooden walls around their cities to keep the rust monsters out Oh, man. And then you can even mess around with, like, making various types of rust monsters. Is there a rust monster queen that is, like, a gargantuan rust monster that if that thing comes towards your city, it's like, oh, my God. Like, the Tarrasque of rust rust monsters. 
That'd be so scary. Yeah, and how mortifying is the idea right now? So you have this wall, it's wooden, it's what, let's say 10, 12 feet high, it stops the rust monsters, and then you have your players there like ready for them to break through so that they can fight them, and all of a sudden there's just this wave that flies over the top. Yeah. <laughs> and you're just like, oh, well, what do we do? Well, I Okay, we die. They can fly now? <laughs> Mm-hmm. And why not? They're they're very insect insect like creatures that makes so much sense that and maybe there's just a yeah there's a whole bunch of variants to them. Maybe there's a breeder one that uh, you shoot it and you kill it and it explodes and then there's ten other rust monsters and it's just another problem that you have to deal with. This is very apocalyptic around one single monster, but I mm-hmm. love it so much. Well, so yeah, I think especially if they're like invading from like a different dimension or something like. We may the the world may know how to handle just normal rust monsters or if it's like Pacific Rim where all of a sudden there's this rift open and it's like different ones just keep coming. And it's just you have to figure out how to survive against ones that fly or ones that have extremely long tongues or have really like whatever it might be. It One, I think, as a as a GM or a DM, it helps you be creative in the ways that you're repurposing monsters. You might take a statistic from. A different one like now all of a sudden they can smell really well and so you're taking the scent statistic from a different monster Mm -hmm. and you might think that not living in that city and living out in the woods might be a good idea until they start to be able to smell really well and then you're just screwed you know yeah i like that idea of them coming through a portal because i imagine a portal just opening in the middle of like a huge metallic city and the way that you introduce this to your players is you have your players they're traveling to a city and they get to that city and it's completely destroyed. Right. But by that time, the rust monsters have moved on because they've they've eaten everything. Right. So it's just like, what happened to this place? And like this is happening all over the world, but they leave nothing behind. Maybe a couple stragglers like get away to tell the tale. But uh, yeah, especially if you don't know where it's going to happen, that makes it even more Oof. terrifying. Yeah, totally. All right, Neil, what's your number seven? Good. I'm glad you're keeping track because I didn't know what number it was because I didn't number (laughs) these. (laughs) So I've been going through the Dungeon Master's Guide one page at a time. And if you're super interested in that idea, you can go to Twitter and look up hashtag DMGC2C, cover to cover. Uh, And one of the weirdest things when I got to the government page was a thing called a kleptocracy. And it's exactly what you would think it is. A government is composed of individuals primarily seeking wealth for themselves, often at the expense of their subjects. So it's like an entire nation run by thieves guilds. Hmm. And, or the other thing that I thought of was pirates, but I, I wouldn't want to do that because I feel like that's too close to something we're very familiar with. Right. But I would make basically a land where no one comes from there. But everyone that basically will go there at some point or another. And the player's goal is to like break this status quo because they're getting too powerful. And so do they infiltrate? Do they just like strong arm and try and take things over? But the idea of like breaking this nation ran by thieves guilds. I love that. That's uh, I've. I've thought about like what about a nation being run by like a mage guild before, you know, nations run by paladins. I've never thought about a nation run by by thieves, by rogues. And like, yeah, like that idea of how do they keep people in check? And you like you use the word strong arm. But to me, I envision like if you're if you're a rebel, if you start speaking out against the ruling power, uh, 
that you just disappear. You go missing. Like you better you better stay out in public and you better not like ever go to sleep because if you do, you're going to just go missing forever. Yeah, I what intrigues me about this is like I think my mind immediately went to, well, it'd just be complete anarchy all the time. Like how would you create people mm-hmm. to stop? But I, I imagine there's like the kleptocracy, like they, they almost have like a code of conduct sort of thing. Like we'll steal from people. We'll do whatever we can to gain money. We're, we're thieves guilds that are trying to vie for the top power, but we won't kill each other, you know, or we won't, we won't like, we won't go after the headmaster of the thieves guild, but we can go after each, you know, whatever that thieves guild rule book would be can give you some real interesting plot hooks if you're all of a sudden coming in and like somebody steals from you but they don't hurt you in any way or they don't kill you or whatever the rules might be and trying to figure those out how the system works within there and how they can dismantle it from the outside kind of working their way into that city that'd be really intriguing to me i guess the other option is to have it be a a secretive ruling group too that is like behind the scenes is the puppet masters. And so you have a normal type of government uh, on the surface, but everyone who's actually in power uh, is part of this thieves guild and is moving the nation in directions that benefit them. And uh, they explain away the fact that they lose all these finances in a different way or certain catastrophes that happen in a different way, but it's actually people being assassinated, people having their their goods stolen from them, corruption in the system. Yeah. I I think the other thing that would help them rise to power is the idea of would be knowledge. They have all these ideas and things that they've basically stolen. And that would be the other way is that they just actually stole things. And so people come to this nation and basically give them power because this place has what they want. And then just kind of being like, okay, well, if you give, I'll give you that, you have to give me this. And then over time, it's just this enormous thing where now it just functions in the world and people don't know how to get out from under it. I think you open it up too with this to be like, what side are you on in this campaign? Are Mm. you trying to like figure out and overthrow this Thieves Guild ruling nation? Or are you part of this group? Or is the adventure like, going out and making this guild succeed. Yeah. I mean, I think about like, is there like a middle between being somebody who steals for their own gain and stealing for like almost like a Robin hood characters or somewhere in the middle where they'll Mm. steal from the bad guys, but they won't give it to the good guys. They'll just hoard it. And so you have like these secret lost arts that mages are coming to this group for, because they're not just going to give it to them, but they also don't want the bad guys to have it at the same time. Mm. Like that could be really interesting if there's, like knowledge, like what Neil was saying, kind of about knowledge or lost arcane arts or druidic secrets or whatever it might be that they have. Nobody else can get it, and they're not just going to give it away for somebody for the greater good at the same time. That'd be really interesting. Well, and even, Chris, you mentioning Robin Hood makes me wonder, like, you could even put a, a positive spin on it, and it doesn't have to be a malicious, greedy, ruling government, but perhaps they're they're pulling the strings, they're doing this, and they're doing it for, quote-unquote, the right reasons. Like, sure. that really just opens up a whole nother idea of uh, how this government runs and what the the morality is behind it. And maybe it even started that way, and now it's it's gone the other way, because eventually uh, you put people in power like that are willing to, to steal from others, and it's going to probably go the other way. <laughs> totally, eventually. Nobody can keep it in check forever. So, <laughs> All right, Neil, what's your number six? 
So this is another one that I got from the Dungeon Master's Guide. It's bringing back the dead. There is this sentence that I, I didn't know what to do with other than showcase right here. A soul knows the name, alignment, and patron deity, if any, of the character attempting to revive it and might refuse to return on that basis. Okay. Like, so literally, so I die and now I know everything about the person that's trying to bring me back. Yeah. That blows my mind first and foremost. But then just to be like, wait a minute, you're lawful evil? No. I'm not going to do this. Then I'm not going to let you bring me back. And so the other thing I thought was a campaign centered around an NPC who wants to come back, but it has to be the right person to bring them back. Mm -hmm. And so now maybe it's a quest for this insane combination that it needs to be. So the one I wrote down is a lawful good cleric of Lolth and finding that person. It Mm -hmm. has to be this exact mix that this person wants. And there obviously there needs to be some level of MacGuffin tied to returning them to the world. Um, or else the player would just be like, well, that sounds like a lot of work and I don't want to do it. Um, you're dead. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Two ideas that kind of come from that in my mind. So I think there's campaigns where I remember I played in one of yours, Mitch, where like one of my characters died the first night that I came. Right. And so we had three in that campaign (laughs) that we were kind of playing. It was a Sons of Bastion campaign that we played in. But I wonder like if somebody's going through a campaign and one of their characters dies and starts playing a new one. And you were trying to go up against this bad guy or whatever. You had this entire funeral session for this character. But then all of a sudden, like, you kind of pause. You tell everybody to go out of the room. And then you say something to the effect of your former character is trying to be risen from the dead. And you know who this guy is. You know who this... Like, you've been chasing this kind of faceless, voiceless character. But you know that they're the overarching bad person. And now you know about it, but your character's dead and then there's like maybe this separate thing that goes on where your character that's dead is trying to get a message to your current players about who that person is because they know all of these things about this character i think that could be really interesting you could also stretch it back further and say like you could bring back characters from previous campaigns that all of a sudden are trying to be raised for whatever purpose in a current campaign those were kind of the two ideas that i had off of what you said neil yeah, I love what you just said about it being like you could you could take that that idea that, you know, Neil, you just had. And like you said, Chris, if you have a tragedy where you get to the table the first night and a person dies, having this be a way to have maybe maybe that character stays dead or at the very least, maybe that character stays unplayable for the future and it becomes mm. an NPC, right, that. Now you as the DM are like, all right, we're going to continue the story with this character that you put work into. You're still going to have to create a new character, but like this character is not just going to be garbage. We're going to like work him into the story. But yeah, like what happens that at the end, like almost like a, a post credit scene, right? Like that soul is being called and is it called by the the villain of the campaign that this is the way that you introduce it and does this the soul make compromises to come back and eventually gets turned against the party and becomes a villain in him or herself. Like that's a, that's a really interesting way to put a positive spin on something that usually, you know, usually when we're playing and we lose a character, it's, it's kind of a sad thing. Yeah. Well, and then you don't really ever revisit them again, except for maybe joking Mm -hmm. about it. But I think that idea, what you said about the soul might know and refuse, but then there's like this negotiation that's going on Mm -hmm. between the person that's trying to raise the PC from the dead and they make compromises. Like what kind of compromises did they make? Like 
will raise you from the dead. Your family will be protected, but you can't ever go and see them again, you know? But if you don't come back, your family is going to be killed. Like, so there's all of those interesting negotiations that could go on between the, the person that's trying to raise the spirit and the spirit that's trying to be raised at the same time. Could be really interesting for some cool role-playing moments. The thought that I had off of uh, your idea, Neil, was what if it is like the start of the campaign is your your PCs are all dead. Uh, and that's that's how you bring them in. You bring them in like in the middle of a battle and you describe how they're each like killed off in that battle. Uh, but their souls now are trying to get back for some unfinished business. But like you said, they they need this specific the specifics to be fulfilled because especially if it's like they're all a bunch of uh, paladins or some religious twist to it, like they need to be brought back by someone specific. And it may on the surface seem like, yeah, they're a, like you said, a, a cleric of Loth. OK, but they don't fit that. And I need to go out and find. So the whole campaign is you playing as these dead warriors and trying to find the right person to bring them back. And then you just have battles with other spirits on uh, the ethereal plane. And that's like this twist to this adventure, which then you get to ask all these fun questions about like, okay, so now can we play on a battlefield in which we can all fly and go around because we're ghosts? Like, do we have that ability? Uh, Is there no like being stuck to the ground in this campaign? Is there no being stuck to like not going through walls and things? We just have like free movement completely. It opens up a whole different world for you to play in based off of this idea that you gave. Which is awesome because we can get right into my number five. Awesome. Which is basically what you just said. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Great. Neil's number four. Let's go. Just listen to Mitch. Like, that's exactly what he said. Yep. Honestly, it's 100%. So I said being dead isn't dead. TPK happens. Game over. Roll up new characters. No. And so just like you're saying, for some reason, you have to find what that reason is that works well for you. But some reason, the afterlife process is broken. Yeah. And all of your players are waking up in either someplace they shouldn't or there's a specific deity that has basically decided to intercede on that process and need something from them. It's a weird contingency to have in your pocket because you kind of have to be dependent on the idea of a TPK or like you were saying, Mitch, starting out that way. But yeah, just like you said, this weird digging through the afterlife. And my other thought was that, okay, so they've completed the task and then the deity just steps away because they're a deity. I don't care. So now the rest of the campaign is them figuring out how to get out and back to being alive. Oh, yeah. They're just stuck there. That's interesting. Yeah, I feel like like it's the trope that you hear a lot is player character dies. And so adventurers go on a adventure to bring them back from the death. Right. And sometimes that's just searching for means of resurrection. And sometimes that's going into whatever afterlife underworld there is in your world or the setting that you're playing in but this idea of starting off with the deaths of the pcs and that being the campaign of from death to life let's get back to life and does it continue on from there once you get out or once you get to life is that the end goal and then it's like fade to black that campaign's over um but it certainly is a an interesting thing and really yeah it 
it allows you to explore parts if you are playing in a homebrew world that normally your players are not getting to explore, like the afterlife and what worlds there are beyond this mortal life. Yeah, and I think too, like I th- I think about like how do I how do you flex some DM muscles and grow a little bit too? Like that might be the opportunity where it's like I've never even thought about doing the afterlife. It's kind of weird because I know how this world works. Mm-hmm. I don't really want to venture into it. Like this could be a really opportunity, real cool opportunity to just say go for it. Like there's no wrong way to play the afterlife. You can make it up on the fly Mm -hmm. or you can put a whole bunch of time and energy and effort to put it in there. And it helps you create your world a little bit more. I think it's a cool opportunity to be able to do that. Exactly. All right, Neil, number four, let's do this. I entitled it magical mishaps. So it's kind of like with the rust monster idea, taking some form of magic, even maybe an individual spell and just turning it all the way up. And, and basically breaking it inside your campaign. So the few that I thought was also pota- potentially taking entire schools like divination. Now everyone in the world is either seeing things they shouldn't, seeing things they don't want to, over investing in the idea and just like abusing it. The other fun one is teleportation is broken and your players just kind of groundhog day wake up in random places. Um, <laughs> uh, but just finding some part of magic in D&D that speaks to you, turning it all the way up, breaking it in half, and then kind of going out from there of like, what does that mean for a world when you do that? Hmm. I, I think about like, maybe like the sunrise is when magic does something really weird for that day for wherever it is. So you could almost take like the wild spells uh, from the sorcerer, like mm-hmm. the, the wild search mm-hmm. table and just roll one. And that happens all over the place. Like one day you might, everybody might wake oh, up with gosh. feather beards. You have no idea why that's happening or why magic is breaking that way. One day they might wake up and there's rubies all over the place. One day they might wake up and there's fireballs exploding all over the place. You just never know because the world is completely broken. Magic has broken in this world and that's the consequence of it. Every sunrise, something crazy happens. Could be good, could be really bad, could be funny, could be tragic. <laughs> All the same it time. could be really bad. And that's, I feel like if the campaign idea is to f- figure out this mystery and fix it, that is, that is the thing that is the motivation of no, 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 we don't have time. Like, okay, we all like, check it out. We all woke up with these feather beards today, but tomorrow it might be those fireballs. And like, that's, that's mm-hmm. destruction of our world. We need to figure this out before the morning comes and we're all dead without even realizing what happened. And the idea of what happened or who it happens to. So if it is people that have an affinity to magic and then what does your world do as preventative measures? I mean, obviously it, get, it, it gets into some dark storylines depending on how you and your players want to approach that. I wonder too about like the cause, like what caused this? What made this happen? Was magic overused? Like was the well mm-hmm. of magic just like pushed to the breaking point and it did. It broke like w- wizards and sorcerers have like just become such a normal thing in your world. And they use magic for pretty much anything, like to the point where it's like some guys like, oh, here, let me light the torch. And they're just like, nah, like lights in the air. I'm good. Like you could have lit that torch, but I just like showing off. I have this ability and people just use it so flippantly that eventually the parameters of of magic are just broken and this happens to the world yep the floodgates have opened we've done this to ourselves yeah 
Well, I think that's the interesting part too of like magic is broken because we've done it to ourselves mm-hmm. is a really interesting consequence. So like maybe there was a rule book of like, you really uh, should only cast three spells a day, but because people are now ga- becoming more powerful and abusing that, like other people have to try and keep them in check by also using more magic in order yeah. to, and it just keeps spiraling out of control. And maybe it's just a hard reset. Like all of a sudden, like, they can't do anything after a while. There's no magic. There's no sorcerers. There's no uh, wizards. There's no war- like. There's nothing for an extended wow. period yep. of time. Maybe that like becomes a whole era in your world. Is there's no magic while the well, if that's the idea we're going with for how magic works, replenishes itself. Yeah, or it's just chaos magic, like totally going off, and there's no way to control it. Now, now you have a religious or not religious, but like magic zealots like out on the streets holding up signs like "Judgment has come." Like we've our doom is near. We've brought this upon ourselves. Like totally. we deserve this, like screaming in the streets. Yeah. Or maybe it's just arcane magic is done. So all of a sudden there's a whole bunch mm-hmm. of sorcerers mm-hmm. who still want this power who are trying to become clerics now because divine magic is still a thing, you know, like that could be really interesting. And what, yeah. And what would, if the wizards and the sorcerers are the ones who did this, imagine how the world and society would look at those, like the people who were wizards and sorcerers, and look down at like the change in thought towards them and they could go to the temple and they'd be like no get out of here you're yeah. we have to use our divine magic we have to call upon the gods because your chaos magic has brought us to the brink of extinction ooh so then so then they get turned away and everybody starts selling their souls to patrons to become mm-hmm. warlocks ooh. and then you have this <laughs> crazy Chris, that was the plan all along warlock war going on yeah this is this is a world that like breathes magic and can't stop breathing magic right. like they're pushing themselves further and further right neil you said that this brings us into number two no no no. i, I said that was the plan all along was to get the, it would be a patron that wants to get more patronage so they broke magic or the idea that ah, it's an evil deity sure, sure. and they broke arcane magic and it's so the, the tricks trickster god mm-hmm. who did this yeah no, number three is just, again, going to be something where people wake up and they don't like what they find. Uh, <laughs> so I I entitled number three, A Decade Without Shadow. So again, I'm just digging around through D&D books and I come across the shadow as a monster. And one of the things that happens with the shadow is basically if it kills you, your shadow separates and becomes another hmm. into, undead entity. And if for any reason you are resurrected, <laughs> that shadow tries to kill you. So my idea was that everyone wakes up and there are no shadows. And while disconcerting, like nobody knows why. So then maybe it's not a big deal until the rumor comes around of like what is going to happen next is that eventually they they're going to come back and each shadow is going to go and try and kill the person it came from. Oh, gosh. And so they're having a big shadow meeting somewhere, mm -hmm, somewhere. And so the players are tasked with preparing thinking about it more i would want to give some kind of time frame because that's kind of the structure of the campaign maybe there are some omen or some vision and you know it's 10 years from now and so everyone's preparing and then you get into the idea of the nuance of like no that's obviously a lie we just don't have shadows now because 10 years after or you know seven eight years after there's got to be a huge group of people who just think it's a lie yeah i have i have a idea well i have a aesthetic question for you neil and then i have a small idea off of that my aesthetic question is when you say there are no shadows like and you're describing this to your players and you're running this game 
is it that there are literally no shadows or there's no shadows for people? Like if I lift up a plate, you just see the circle shadow of the plate, but there's like it looks yeah. like it's floating. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's how you describe it. Yep. So my my small idea that I had off of this would be like somewhere down the path of this campaign, you're a couple sessions in. I got nothing more than this this little drop right here. But what if you walk past somebody on the road and you notice that that person has a shadow? Mm-hmm. Like how much is your group going to freak out? What are they going to do with or to that person? Like they they're going to need answers. The person may or may not know the answer behind why he or she has a shadow, but it's going to be such a like small little thing like, oh, roll perception check uh, that that person has a shadow freak out. What are we going to do? Capture him. Speak to him. I just would love to see yeah. the player's reaction to that. Yep. I think it's a great way to keep it going because there's two avenues of preparing and one is for the attack and one is for a solution. Well, I think there's this, there's this idea that I have rolling around in my head where like an entire world would just kind of get flipped on its side. So like the daytime. So imagine obviously light cast shadows. So the daytime is when the shadows are actually active because there's light to give Mm. them life. You know, like they can actually be seen. They can actually do things. Nobody has shadows still, but when you see a shadow, that's like freak out moment. You run away. So everybody stops being active during the day. They're inside, lights out, no like fires, no nothing during the day. They just try to live without light as much as possible. They're building big domes over their cities so no light can get through. But at night, when there is no light on cloudy nights, that's when they try to go out and figure out why shadows are starting Hmm. to take over, trying to get to the bottom of it, you know? And the shadows are the ones that are trying to create light or sustain light. So they're trying to infiltrate those cities and create light in some way. So it becomes almost like a portal for them to enter in through is through open flame or something. That could be a really interesting idea to kind of turn this idea on its head a little bit. And that's, I mean, that's an interesting question as, a DM that you've got to ask yourself because Chris, you went in the exact opposite way that I would have thought about it in because to me, I would think about it in like, if it's nighttime, it's more scary because the shadows could be moving around coming to get you and you wouldn't know it because they'd be hidden within more shadows. Right. But in your process of thinking, you're saying like, no, 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 they need that light mm-hmm. to be able to, to right. even light be them. there. Maybe They're, if in, yeah. Yeah. They're more powerful when they have more light. Yeah. 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 Maybe like at nighttime, because there are more, there's more darkness and more shadow. They, yeah, they lose their, their power. They're still there, but they're not able to like, they're not going to be able to kill you. They'd be right. very weak. So that's kind of the, the one defense. And you have like, that's weird. Then you have people like just running into darkness to hide and like mm-hmm. turning off the fires and like, yeah, that's, that's living in their dark home is boarded up during yeah. the daytime. Well, if they have to go out somewhere, they have to cast or have an item that has darkness imbued on it in order to go anywhere. Mm-hmm. Right. They might bump into things. They might not be able to see where they go, but they know the direction they have to go. And they might step out for a second in order to see if they're in the right spot. But then they're right back into that darkness zone or whatever it is in order to travel. I think that could be a really interesting uh, way to shake things up a little bit. Yeah, it makes me think of Bird Box. <laughs> yeah <laughs> totally <laughs> totally true yeah i mean this this is the i mean we haven't gotten to your next two neil but so far this is my favorite of your ideas i love this i want to okay. do this as a, as a as a story this sounds sweet 
Oh, well, good. Number one is the absolute most ridiculous one I have. So we'll get there. <laughs> Great. All right. Number two, let's do it. Okay. Number two is your entire campaign world is set on an infinite staircase. Wow. I, f- I, I hate that idea for so many reasons, <laughs> yep. Neil. It was a random picture I saw. There was no additional description. It just said infinite staircase. And it was... And it wasn't just a single like stairway to heaven, if you will. It, there were platforms, but it just exists as just one way to go from place A to place B is stairs. Yeah. And what the I, players find, where they go, do they stop? Who do they find? Are people coming back the di- the other direction? Will they tell them anything? But yeah, there you it's go. Almost, yeah, it's almost like an infinite dungeon sort of crawl. Mm-hmm. But like certain, I, I imagine platforms could even be like, entire cities like yep yeah chris why do you hate that why do i hate that idea because <laughs> you you did that in a campaign and almost killed one of my characters because yeah, they aged did. years it and wasn't years infinite years. chris it oh, was like 40 right. years of staircase okay oh, calm no down <laughs> but i think the i think the thing that neil you said that was different than what mitch did is that like yeah it's an ongoing dungeon each platform so it is a stair but nobody might recognize it as a stair right away they just might come to this massive cliff that they have to climb up and then there's another platform that is an entire city or an entire country or whatever. Like it could be a massive staircase that the gods made. It could be a uh, it could be a test from the gods that's like if you can get to the top through these things. Like it's the hero's journey sort of idea. Like starts out easy, but as you go up and up and up, it might get harder and harder and harder to keep going, or the climb might get longer, or the test yeah. might get harder. Like I, I like that idea of each step being a test or a platform that's very different from the other one. And nobody really knows why it's this way. It just is. And two thoughts off of that. Like one, what happens when you are 50 years into this journey and you get to a point and the staircase is broken. Like there is a like gap that you can't cross. But then also with that idea of like the gods have tasked this, whether this is something the gods have literally said to your PCs or to mankind or elf kind or all kind, whatever it is, whether it's something the gods have actually said, or if this is a belief that has been created out of this is there, this must be from the gods and it must be a test. Again, I would throw it back to like the fact that Neil said infinite staircase. Mm -hmm. So is this a lie, whether the gods said this or not? And this staircase goes on forever and ever. There is no end to it. And then kind of working off of that, does that mean that there's a different test? That the test is not yeah. to reach the top, but there's something else that like you have to figure out on that journey. Yeah. Or are there people that have like tried this and have made it to a various level of step? And so like you get to this part and can't figure out what you're supposed to do next, but you might think that there's somebody who's been here longer, but just isn't able to physically do whatever test or quest there was Mm -hmm. on this platform. So you're seeking them out and they might be the crazed lunatic of this town because everybody was kind of born here. They just accept it for what it is after a while. They don't know that this is a test. And there's this one guy that's like, this is all a test. Like you need to come and do this thing in order to move on to the next thing. And he's just kind of seen as the town outcast in this area. And how many of those people do you run into along the way that tried to start this test, but couldn't make it past and now are just stuck there on this platform. Yeah. Or a legend of a of a warrior long ago who uh, has never been seen again, but for some reason the legends tell that he or she made their way and finished this test. Totally. 
Yeah. Boom. It's time. <gasps> the crazy one. Let's okay. do it. You're number one. So this, I mean, this is up to you. I, on a personal level, would <laughs> number, say- that, our no, Your number one is up to me. No, no, no. <laughs> I would say that this should be a one shot, but you may love this idea so much that it is every campaign that you ever run. <laughs> wow. And I entitled it, no, please don't. Uh, I entitled it Dungeon Wars. Okay, so basically you step into a hallway and there's just these rooms and it's basically just storage wars in a dungeon and you're as a group <laughs> bidding on whether or not you can go into a room and fight it and you would have skill checks to see what you oh. see or don't see in the room to assess whether or not it's there. You could have like these whack, I mean literally just watch storage wars and you would have these wacky NPCs that are also bidding against you. Are they an actual adventuring group? Are they basically just this wealthy benefactor who has like this merc crew that goes in and clears these rooms? But basically it's just storage wars inside of a dungeon. Yeah, well, and then you just like you have these ongoing jokes with people as you go to the next one. Like they, like, oh, that's mm -hmm. all the storage units for this day, you know. And then it's like, okay, we got to go back to town and rest. And it's like always like this extra dimensional place that you go into each time. And then there's like the newbie who's trying to like bid for the first time, and you're like joking around with them that they are just stupid for bidding on that one, you know. And and then they never come back; they just die in there. And it was like, well, I told you, you shouldn't have gone in there, you know. Or you have like. Yeah, just the different factions that have their own personalities that each of those storage unit shows have. Really, you're not watching the story. You're watching the storage unit for the hall at the end, but you're also watching it for the personalities. Mm -hmm. So it could be really interesting to see who keeps showing up time after time after time to this place. And literally every module you've ever looked at just becomes source material for the idea. Totally. Every room and every module adventure, whatever, it can be placed in here because it depends on what level of magic you're using. Because the way I, I envision it is it literally is just this long hall with these doors and maybe there's some amount of teleportation magic or something like that. But anything could be on the other side. All right. I'm just going to full embrace this and say that it's not just the dungeon, dungeon delving groups that are bidding for... Uh, the ability to go into the next room. But behind all of them is a couple of wizards with crystal balls that are magic and are broadcasting what's happening out to the rest of the world. Yes. In the middle of cities onto like these big screens. And so <laughs> you have like moments where like you're about to go into the room and like a wizard is like, hold on, hold on. I'm going to I'm going to go in and look and check. And you have like these theories going on that these wizards are like staging some things that that dungeon room wasn't actually that great <laughs> that it was just like a couple of rats and yeah yeah i think that uh i think that golem came out of nowhere i don't think that was quite there in that first place yeah that's my favorite thing is you you failed and you're like oh i can i can see something very obvious a very obvious large magical item but it doesn't look like there's anything else in there so then I envision I would definitely want someone else to take this, not your players, but someone goes in there and then just this dark mantle drops from the ceiling and murders <laughs> them. Yeah, it's it's interesting. Like the people that are in there have no idea what's going on. And yet mm -hmm. there's these people behind the scenes that are pulling all the strings. I think that's so, yeah. so this funny to do. This episode of Dungeon Wars is brought to you by the WWWB. Yeah. Worldwide wizard broadcasting. Yeah. <laughs> Done. Oh. 
I love it. <laughs> yep. I, I I would I would play in that game. I would run that game. Mm-hmm. I would watch that show a hundred percent. Got it. That was fantastic. Top ten from Neil Powell, right to your ears. Hope that you enjoyed it as much as me and Chris, I know we did, and just getting to come with all these ideas. I'm sure you guys just in listening have come up with other ideas off of off of Neil's ideas uh, that he shared on this episode. Chris, if if our listeners did get some cool ideas off of this episode and off of Neil's ideas, or if they maybe just have a top 10 that they want to share with us, uh, where could they reach us at? You can email us at dungeonmasterblock at gmail.com. That would be a great place for you to send us all of either how you've played these out after listening to this or how you're thinking about doing it or, yeah, sending your own top 10, like you said, Mitch. And if you loved this episode or any of the other ones and you see fit, head over to your podcatcher of choice and leave us a podcast review and we'll read it on air. If you like our show and you want updates, the places that you should go to are our Twitter at DMS underscore block. That's at DMS block or our Facebook page and like our Facebook page. As always, the Dungeon Masters Block is a proud member of the Block Party Podcast Network, where you can check out other shows like DMnastics. Geek Wars, not Dungeon Wars. I know you're disappointed. (laughs) Dungeons and Dragons and Daughters and more. Yet. Can't see Dungeon Wars yet. Yet. (laughs) Neil's going to get on that. He doesn't have a lot on his plate. Nope. Well, that's it for this episode of the Dungeon Master's Block, the place where we come to talk about the Dungeon Master, the most important person in the game, the only person capable of playing God, killing characters, and lowering the ego of everyone else at the table. I'm one of your hosts, DM Mitch, reminding you to keep on dungeon mastering. And tune in to the WWWB sometime in the near future. Uh, I'm DM Neil. Good night and good luck. But it's weird now because I don't want to say good night. It's Chris's problem. Good night. Yeah, you can email us at dungeonmasterblock. No, ugh. you can reach us at dungeon. <laughs> gosh, oh my gosh, I just said you can it. Reach too. us at www.wb. At- yeah, yeah. All right, uh, you can reach us at the dungeon. No, not the. Keep the out. I'm getting there, Neil. Don't shake <laughs> your head at me. Good bloopers. He's back. He's rusty, <laughs> but he's back. Lowering all the eagles. <laughs> I'm shaking, shaking the rust monsters off me. Yeah. <laughs> You can reach us at the dungeon. Nope. (laughs) (laughs) It It keeps working its way in. (laughs) Goodbye.